0: Hello, this is Sid Roth, and I am Meshuga. That's a Hebrew word, it means crazy. I am Meshuga for Yeshua. And some of you that are laughing at me, uh, you're Meshuga for something. I want to be Meshuga for Yeshua, for Jesus. Now, my guest, Perry Stone, he's another one that's Meshuga for Yeshua. But uh, I can't wait to interview Perry because, as you know, he's he's a real student of the word. And he has studied Over the Bible over 100,000 hours, and as a result of that study and being a man of the Spirit, he has come up with the most important revelation in the history of his ministry, Uh, and we're going to be talking about a lot of them. You see, what he does, he studies cycles that are repetitive in the Bible. And when you understand these cycles, it gives you keys for understanding the future. But uh, Perry, I understand you had uh, a a vision of the last days of something that's about ready to happen—a warning dream, if you will. Tell me about it.
1: Well, there was two recently. I've been, and I'll, I'll talk about more recently because the one you're talking about was previously some time back. I'm having an experience at night, it's happening about once every two weeks, of seeing tsunamis, very, very high waves um, coming over, especially there's there's a city, and I'm not sure if it's on our east coast or west coast or where it is, I do believe one of them affects the United States, however. And so, having said that, uh, I'll go through this real brief. I was in. Yeah,
0: but but what I have to ask you this. I, I, I'm always looking for other meanings, as you are too. When I hear a tsunami, could it not all be? It'll be devastating. But could it not also be a tsunami of the Holy Spirit?
1: Well, you know, because the, the Bible uses the metaphor of water pouring out the Spirit in the last days, you do have to, when you have certain visions or dreams, have to look at the interpretation of the symbolism as well. Uh, What I try to distinguish is how much symbolism was actually in the vision or dream, like serpents or water or sheep or goat or lamb or wheat or fruit trees, versus does it appear to be more literal. Now, in, in the second one, the second one I want to tell you about, which is the main one, this was very literal. We were in a city. I don't know exactly where it was. I did see a sign, but I'm very careful not to name it because when I do this, People call us and people begin to panic and they begin to say, should I move or whatever. And people just have to be pray and know the mind of God. God will direct his people. But we, my wife and I were in an apartment overlooking a city, and we noticed that over top of the city there were dark clouds beginning to form. And I told her, I said, get everyone inside the building. For security purposes, I feel like something's about to happen. I then turned to a glass window. This is a double-story uh, building, and this was very clear. I could see it just like it was yesterday. Um, and I looked toward the water, and I noticed that there was a sign that this bridge was connecting to, let's say it's a city on the east coast, which it is somewhere on the east coast. And suddenly, the the strangest thing, I saw a wave just come out of this water. It washed over the bridge, and I saw the bridge begin to fall. And the most most bizarre part, Sid, was I saw the shadow of the Twin Towers come up out of the water, not the towers themselves, but like a ghostly-looking shadow that came up out of the water, which made me wonder, was this event caused by a terrorist attack? Was it caused by a sleeper cell or terrorist attack that was somehow going to affect uh, this particular area of the country? And uh, I remember the wave came in. The wave was taking out a two-story Buildings that were on that was on the water shore, uh, not far from this bridge, and I did a little bit of research later and found out that this area is connected by bridges. There's a lot of bridges in the area. Uh, there's never been a, a actual warning of a natural tsunami to my knowledge in that area, but we know how those are also caused. They're caused by uh, an earthquake, underwater earthquake, as as it happened in Indonesia or it happened in Japan. But uh, I'm, I'm really sensing. And I don't want to get sidetracked here on something, but when we go back and look at Genesis chapter 19, at the incident that happened at the five cities of the plain, Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, and how the sudden destruction came to those cities because the first covenant that God ever established, as you know, is the covenant of a man and woman. God cut Adam's rib in order to produce Eve, and the very first major commandment God gave was be fruitful and multiply. So the first covenant was a man and woman. The first uh, commandment, covenant, stat commandment is fruitful to multiply, and we see uh, the entire society to now, now contradicting that and passing. I call it passing laws that are abomination before God. We know that if that type of thing happens and is continuing to happen, that God has to permit the same type of judgments to happen to America or whatever country that there may be involved with the same type of issue. Uh, as it would be with Sodom and Gomorrah. And someone asked me the other day, which I thought was a good question, they said, Perry, why do you think that America comes under a selective judgment faster than a nation, let's say, that doesn't know the Bible? And I said, basically, where little is known, little is required, where much is known, much is required. We have been a nation of the Bible, a nation of the covenant, a nation that is founded, it is a fact, by early fathers who did believe in Christ. Now, not all of them were necessarily Christians. There was a few deists, and a few other beliefs there, but majority were Christians, and they established this land in covenant with the Almighty. They believe God divinely raised it up. So if we take the covenant of our ancestors, and this is a phrase used in the book of Leviticus, the covenant of the ancestors, and we begin to do things, shedding of innocent blood is one, and Matthew chapter 23 talks about that, uh, the warning of why Jerusalem was destroyed was because of shedding innocent blood. And the other issue is the covenant of uh, of what we call marriage, the man and woman. And if we begin to contradict that and say, God, you really don't know what you're talking about, and we're in a different time and a different culture, and we're going to do our thing, you, it positions the entire nation into a situation of seeing some very horrendous things happen in the future. And it's real odd, Sid, because there's two paths. There's two paths that we're on. One path is an outpouring of the Spirit, gospel being preached, revival path, and it is fabulous. The greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're having conferences here in Cleveland with four to 6,000 young people, with 500 of them at one time being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's the most phenomenal thing I've seen in my lifetime. The other side of the track almost running parallel with this is the, I call it the Days of Lot and Days of Noah track, where the signs of the days of Lot and days of Noah are being fulfilled in in front of our very eyes. And one track is very negative, and the other track is very positive. And depending on how an individual's relationship is with God and the covenant they have with God, if you have a covenant, you can be on that positive track headed into the kingdom. Uh, If you don't have a covenant relationship with God, you're on the days of Lot and days of Noah track in the sense of that was the track that saw two of the greatest judgments of their of of their time. One was the universal flood, and the other, of course, was the destruction of four out of five cities uh, there near the Dead Sea in the southern part of Israel. And so I'm seeing uh, that something is up. Something is 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 going to happen, um, and it, it it does concern me. But at the same time, I do know God is is very much in charge. And God's people have to keep faith in their heart. You know, the most troubling parable to me, said is that one in Luke where the woman goes before the judge and keeps asking for the judge to avenge her. And then Jesus said, "...shall not God avenge his elect who cried day and night to him?" And then the last part of that verse says, "...when the Son of Man comes..." shall he find faith on the earth? And the implication there is that people's faith could become weak at the very time of the end, and they could become like Lot's wife and look back as the greatest deliverance that's ever happened, the return of the Messiah is taking place.
0: Perry, I have to ask you a question, and I'm sure others have asked you this. Why do you teach so much about Israel and Jewish roots?
1: The, the the real the real reason, said I believe, for this number one is in my earlier ministry, which began in 1979 up to about 1984. Uh, I basically taught faith, the Holy Spirit, baptism, because I was an evangelist, having revivals that would go three or four weeks in most churches where we would go. My first trip to Israel totally altered and transformed me, and I know that you go to Israel, and people really need to take a trip with you because you are so transformed in your knowledge. It's not just seeing the place. It's the knowledge. And I realized when I went there, number one, I didn't know as much as I thought, having been raised in the church. I didn't know as much as I thought. Then I saw the prophetic element. And when I saw the prophetic element, I came to this realization. I came back and realized, went back into what I call the first covenant, or people call it the Old Testament, but I went back to the prophets, uh, and I began to realize everything that they predicted about the time of the end is somehow linked to Israel. It's linked to Jerusalem. For example, Zechariah chapters 12 through 14 is totally linked to Jerusalem. It's linked to God building up Jerusalem, Psalms 102 verse 16, when the Lord builds up Zion, then he will appear in his glory. Uh, And I began to, to look at these scriptures and realize, okay, Israel, Jerusalem, the return of the Jewish people, the blessing that's going to come upon the land, all of this happens really before the Messiah returns. It's it's set up, the process begins before he sets up his kingdom on earth. And that's when I thought, hey, we're missing something here. And being raised a fourth-generation minister in uh, in a more traditional full-gospel church, we basically taught, most of the time, either from the four Gospels or the book of Acts in a Sunday morning message. And then we'd come into the epistles and talk about some guidelines of living. But what was missing when I grew up, and I'm talking about my father was a great man of God and a great pastor and a great preacher, But he admitted later, Perry, I never understood the prophetic aspect because when we came up and Israel became a nation in 1948 uh, and the Six-Day War took place in '67, we knew it was significant, but we didn't have the knowledge to put it together. And Sid, he said something to me I'll never forget. I said, Dad, why do you think your generation didn't quite understand the prophetic part of this? And here's what he said to me. He said, Son, because my generation was not the last generation. When the last generation comes, the final generation before the Messiah returns, that's the generation that will have the clear, total understanding. Like God said to Daniel, seal the book to the time of the end. Then many will run to and fro. So,
0: so that begs the question, are we in the final generation?
1: With all my heart, especially with the what you see in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, uh, Israel, Lebanon, uh, what you see taking in the northern part of Africa— Uh, the situation with the EU, the situation with America, I honestly believe, Sid, uh, you know, you got the blood moon issue, which are are definitely prophetic cycles taking place, the lunar eclipses. I believe we are really and truly in the time of the end. Uh, For me to sit here and say, how many years is that? How many months is that? I stay clear of that, despite the fact that I do a lot of research on cycles and patterns. I do believe, however, that uh, the great revival, and you're experiencing some of it yourself when you have gone to Israel, the great revival among the Hebrew people, and not only that, there's this really amazing uh, visitation of God with visions and dreams among the Muslim people all over the world. That type of thing is indicating to me that the gospel is getting to the nations, and that's what is going to happen to bring in the kingdom to the earth where Messiah can come to Jerusalem and rule for that thousand years that John talked about in Revelation 20. So I really do believe that we are in that time called the time of the end, and uh, honestly Sid, it's it's about the most exciting time to live right now. You and I couldn't have picked a better time I mean, you and I—not that we picked it, but you know, our parents did. I guess.
0: No, no. God chose us to be here. I believe we are created. Our DNA, Perry Stone, your DNA was created from heaven to be able to do what you're doing. Uh, tell me, but but you know, my producer told me that I've really got to find out about this Rabbi Samuel. Tell me about him.
1: This is intriguing. A uh, rabbi, Yudabin ben Samuel, was a uh, Regensburg German Hasidic rabbi and in uh, born about t- uh, the year t- uh, 1217. But he made these amazing predictions about Jerusalem and the coming Messiah. A little background: in his day, at age 55, he wrote two books. Now, one of them has been lost, and the other one uh, has been. I remember my, my Jewish guide showing me this book way back in the 80s, but it was in Hebrew and uh the time frame uh that he was dealing with uh, in his books that he was dealing with is ten ninety six to about twelve seventy and this was before the uh the, what was known back then as the Crusaders lost Palestine and of course i'm using old terms here that he would have the rabbi would have used back then uh, to the Muslims in about twelve ninety one Now this is his exact quote okay here 's what it says: when the Ottoman Turks conquered Jerusalem they will rule over Jerusalem for eight jubilees. Afterwards, Jerusalem will become a no-man's land for one jubilee, and then in the ninth jubilee, it will once again come back into the possession of the Jewish nation. They would signify, this would signif- which would signify the beginning of the Messianic end time. So very quickly, let me run through this. In Leviticus 25, a jubilee is seven times seven years, of 49 years, with the 50th year itself being the jubilee. The jubilee is every, technically every 50 years, This the great Shabbat, in other words. All right, now... When the rabbi gave this description about the Ottoman Turks, 300 years later after he wrote this, in the year 1517, the Turks took Palestine and the city of Jerusalem, and then several years later they started rebuilding the walls. Because you know this, if you've, you've been to Israel enough, those those crusader uh, castle, a castle-looking castle walls in Jerusalem were actually built by the Turks. They weren't built by Herod the Great. And so uh, they started rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, the, this rabbi, imagine this now, I mean, this, this is like in the 13th century he's writing this. He said there's going to be eight jubilees, so 50 times 8, 50 is a jubilee multiplied 8 times is 400 years. He says the Ottomans are going to have Jerusalem for eight jubilees or 400 years. That is the exact time the Turks had Jerusalem, from 1517 to 1917, exactly 400 years, which is eight jubilees. Then his next prediction was this, all right, in the ninth jubilee, it will once again go back into the hands of the, as a Jewish nation. So 1917. Let's go ahead. 50 years, which is the next jubilee, is 1967. During the Six Day War, Jerusalem was reunited and became the capital of Israel. At the end of the ninth jubilee, based on his timing, based on Rabbi Ben Samuel's timing, and that was that was the period of 50 years. There's a jubilee. Then he says this, and this is what's exciting to me. He's been so right on these other predictions that he says in the 10th Jubilee, now the 10th Jubilee would fall from 1967 to the year 2017, from the 9th to the 10th Jubilee will be the Messianic era, the era of the Messiah, the time frame of the Messiah. And so when you look at this, to me it's very exciting because, you know, a person can make prediction after prediction, but if if they miss it at some point, it kind of messes up with the with the rest of their prediction he's hit it on the head with these jubilee cycles. And you know, the, the from a rabbinical thought, uh, biblical numbers mean things. First, six is man, seven is perfection, eight is new beginnings, five is the number of grace. But when you look at the jubilee cycles, there are entire books that were found at Qumran, entire scrolls, called the Book of Jubilees, where the writer put everything in his Israel's history on jubilee cycles. And there is definitely, without a doubt, patterns to be found in the jubilee. So if the rabbis previous predictions have proven so correct. Part one, the eight Jubilees, second part, the ninth Jubilee, and this third part would be 10th Jubilee from from 1967 to 2007. That means we are now, for the next several years, entering into what's called the Messianic era, where the emphasis is going to be on the Jewish Messiah. It's going to be on our Yeshua, the one that we love, and he is going to manifest his presence. He's going to manifest his visions and dreams to people. And we're going to see the greatest understanding of who Jesus is. You know, the whole battle... R- I'll Sid-
0: tell you what, hold that thought, Perry, because I am so excited to release to those that are listening to us right now your six-CD series called Breaking End-Time Prophetic Codes. Perry says that this is the most important—in all his years of ministry, in 100,000 hours of studying the Scriptures, this is without a doubt the most important revelation in the history of his ministry. Uh, And let me tell you some of the areas we'll be covering. A lot of people are talking about blood moons because we're in a very significant pattern right now, but there's—many have missed some very important predictions connected with it. Uh, Another CD has to do with the Passover and the revelation of the blood. And it is the greatest mystery, and there is such a deep emphasis on the blood. This, This teaching will emphasize the blood. And then, I love the CD, Perry, that you put together, Designed, Death of America. It's actually designed. And then one called When Israel Breaks America's Yoke. Now, you usually think it's the other way around, but no. From a God viewpoint, it's when Israel breaks America's yoke. Watch out. And and then then we have a special bonus CD of I'm going to ask Harry, what God is showing him right now at this moment. So we're making the six CDs and the seventh bonus available for an investment of $45. And I can tell you just before I went on the air, I booked amazing Jewish evangelistic event somewhere in the world. I'll tell you after it's over, but I believe hundreds and hundreds of Jewish people are going to boldly stand up and proclaim Yeshua is the Messiah, and you can be part of it. When you invest $45, all profits are poured into Jewish ministry, I'll be right back. Call our order-only line, one 800 447 2697 1-800-447-2697 2697 one 447 2697 Sid Roth here with Perry Stone. And uh, Perry... Uh, the revelation that you have so in so many different areas, it's almost like it's all converging together right now. But so people will understand how you get these revelations and how we can understand keys to our future from them. Uh, you work a lot with what you call types and shadows. Uh, explain what that means.
1: Well, one of the things that I discovered as a young minister, first of all, I'm going to give you a little bit, a bit, a bit of background here. When I was uh, felt the call of God to go into the ministry, I was a teenager, 16 years of age. I was intrigued with the prophetic books of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And I saw Daniel as a young man that went into Babylon, but God used him to understand mysteries. I began to pray, and I think this is the first thing people should do when they want to understand the deeper things of God, uh, is to pray for wisdom and understanding of the deeper things and the deep mysteries of God. So I prayed that for about two years. After praying that, I began to notice that when I would read the Bible, it was very easy once I began to read it to put scriptures with scriptures. I would say, wait a minute, that verse goes right along with that verse over there. Of course, I had a study Bible to help me put it together, but I began to put verses together. I began to study by subject. When I got into the prophetic word, which was, again, basically after my first trip to Israel, uh, I began to just devour, uh, have such a hunger to understand what it was all about, to understand how it was going to come together, to understand how everything was linked together. And so a lot of this began with, first of all, prayer for wisdom, because James said, if you don't lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you liberally. And I, I held on to that. And the second thing is is to 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 have a love and a hunger to understand. And the third part, and I really held the Lord to this, where he said in the book of Daniel, Seal up the book to the time of the end. many shall run to and fro. Knowledge shall be increased. So I looked at that verse from every translation I could find, and it basically is saying when we come to the time of the end, there's going to be this very heavy unleashing, unlocking of mysteries of the Bible, especially prophetic mysteries. And I simply asked the Lord, Lord, help me to understand the mysteries of God. And I have to say that that God, that the way the Lord uh, instructs me, the things He gives me to teach. Uh, people many times will say, man, I've never heard that before. This is the first time. And I remember when I was younger, people would kind of look at that and say, well, if you've never heard it before, how do you know it's true? But they they would always be able to go back to the Bible and see I was backing up everything entirely from the Word. So when people, for example, you're going to offer six CD, uh, six, six CDs of, uh, that we have prepared for you, uh, these are the best. I mean, these these are the ones that to me, I have one called "Living in Prophetic Crunch Time." That's absolutely off the chain in my book. It's one of my favorite of all time. And, and, and uh, we'll
0: discuss that just a little bit, and that is in our package, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. And so I'm just, I'm just, uh, I just believe that because we're living in the time of the end, it is the will of God for us to understand the things that normally previous generations it was not, they, let me say it this way, they were not prepared to understand it. Let me give you an example, Sid. Uh, people said to me, why is it that when you go to the time of, let's say, the 1500s, 1600s, 1800s, a lot of the uh, ministers who were w- well known did not talk a lot about what we would term the coming of the Lord for the church. Now, the word that theological word that's often used for the catching away is rapture. A lot of people don't like that word, but I use it because people understand what I'm talking about. Uh, And the answer is real simple. Number one, how can you preach signs of the times that the Lord's coming when there's no signs being fulfilled? If you'll think about it from like the 15, 16, 17, 1800s, you know, there's a civil war in America, there's this, there's the American Revolution, but as far as to have biblical signs that you could point to and say, the Lord's coming based on this, Israel was not even a nation. The Jews were scattered around the earth. They were comfortable in Europe or America, wherever they were living. It wasn't the time to understand. And only when the, the biblical prophecies of the biblical prophets began to come to pass, can the people who read the prophecy know This is happening now, and this is why in 1948, when Israel was reestablished as a nation, suddenly there is this surge uh, during the Great Healing Revival and thereafter from 1948 onward, especially in the 50s, there was this resurgence of Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, the Lord's coming. There were books written on the subject, and the reason that a lot of the Western Christian ministers were so emphasized, emphasized that greatly Sid, I can tell you from from studying it, there were a lot of ministers who taught that Israel would never be a nation again until the Messiah, Christ, returned back to earth. Then he would gather the tribes of Israel from the four corners of the world. And they were teaching that, I mean, denomination after denomination, minister after minister. But 48, that one day, well, what a message, one day in 1948, in May 14th, 15th, when Israel is restored, it shifted Everything and men went back to the prophecies and said, "Wait a minute! Isaiah said a nation would be born at once. Wait a minute! Israel has to be a nation before the Messiah can set up his kingdom because it is a nation when Messiah comes, not after he comes, when he comes." And this this time the the timing of events began to trigger the men and women who studied prophecy to say something is up. And then when, when they when they took Jerusalem in sixty seven and tore the concrete wall down with the barbed wire, and the country of Jordan, they annexed what was called East Jerusalem, and made it the capital. And now you've been there, I've been there, you can take tour buses in East Jerusalem, West Jerusalem, South Jerusalem, North Jerusalem, tourists all over the place, people from all over the world coming. When that began to happen, that was the second wave of understanding. And I would have to say that when, about 88, 89, and 90, when, Uh, In Russia, the Jews began to come back from the North Country and were given the freedom to return. That was the third wave that people said, wait a minute, we cannot interpret this to mean that all of these great things happen when Messiah steps foot on the Mount of Olives, when Messiah rules for a thousand years according to Revelation 20. It's happening now. If it's happening now, what does it mean? These become the signs of the time of the end. And you cannot disconnect; it is impossible. And I get real amused sometimes at letters I receive from people, or uh, they'll email or something, and they want to disconnect my preaching of Israel and my preaching of Jerusalem and the Jewish people uh, and the blossoming of land. They want to separate that from uh, biblical prophecy and make it an allegory, or say that the church is Israel, or the church has the church are now the Jews, or you know, kind of replacement theology but prophecies for Israel are for Israel prophecies for the believer are for believers prophecies for the nation are for the nations prophecy for uh new, uh new covenant believers are for new covenant believers and and that's where people have to rightly divide the word of God and say wait a minute the, yes you can look you can look at this verse and apply it to us but the primary meaning is the nation of Israel
0: uh, you know Perry you talk about things that i've never heard before even uh you talk about i mean so many revelations you you talk about that we are in prophetic crunch time i've never heard that phrase before uh, and and you say that uh some of the most significant things are ready to happen uh what does it mean when we're in prophetic crunch time and how does that play out to us
1: Okay, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. In Ephesians 1 and 9 and 10, it says, In the dispensation of the fullness of times, God will gather together in one all things both, uh, in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even unto him. Now, there's a phrase called the fullness of time, or the fullness of times, which is used in the, in, in, uh, the New Testament. Now, the first thing we have to understand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the abbreviated version here, because on, on the offer that you've got, there's a whole CD on this. So I'm going to give a highlight point here, one or two. There's three ways that time is counted in the eyes of God. Number one is sabbatical cycles, every seventh day, every seventh year, every seven times seven years. Then there is the jubilee cycles, every 50 years, Leviticus 25. Time can be counted on jubilee cycles. We talked about uh, the rabbi who wrote about the nine jubilee cycles. Then there's something called covenant cycles. Now here's, here's what a covenant cycle is. It's Matthew one seventeen. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the carrying away to Babylon are 14 generations, from the carrying away into Babylon into Christ are 14 generations. Now that's a pattern, 14, 14, and 14, point being that there is a set time for the prophecy to actually happen. Normally when a prophecy begins to happen, it happens within a 24- to 48-hour period. You can say, that's it's like Israel becoming a nation. When it happened, it happened. Jerusalem, the third day of the war at 10 o'clock in the morning, they officially had Jerusalem. So there's a moment you know. But the closer you get to the moment, time begins to get reduced or shortened. That's prophetic crunch time. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman, born uh, made under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Here's the key. When the fullness of time had come. So here's where we're at. We're at, we're at times where prophecies are beginning to be fulfilled, milestones leading into stepping stones, stepping stones leading into major prophetic fulfillment. As we move closer the time of it being fulfilled is going to be reduced. Time is going to be shortened. The work will have to be done faster. The work will have to be done quicker. That's why, I said you are like a wild man on a mission. I am like a wild man on a mission. We don't waste a day. We don't waste a week. We don't waste a month. We're every day looking for how do we reach, how do we reach out, how do we win people, how do we touch lives, why are we doing it? because there is a crunch coming in which you and I can sense we are around the corner to the big things. The Messiah is making preparations for big things. We have to get the job done in order to accommodate what he's about to do. Okay,
0: let, and let me put this in my words and tell me if this is what you're saying. We are in a set time where all prophecy is speeding up, as has occurred in the past. It's called prophetic crunch time, but things are speeding up to such a point that if we don't redeem the time in this set season, we may miss it.
1: it you, that's ex- you hit it on the head. I, c- I couldn't have said it any better. That's exactly what I'm saying with this. It's exactly what the revelation of crunch time is. Exactly. You know, because God only gives all of us a certain time in our lifetime to complete everything he's told us to do. And there will be a generation, you and I know, Sid, that will not die in the sense of natural death. They will be changed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. And I hope you and I both are in that generation, of course. But. When we see the prophecies beginning to come to pass, the closer we get to, for example, the revelation of the Antichrist, the final seven years of tribulation, the closer we get to some of these major, major prophecies, we're going to discover things start happening faster. You know, Jesus said this, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. But then he said when all these things began to come to pass, we've always had war, famine, pestilence, earthquake. That's always going on. We've always had those things. However, when all of these things start happening at the same time, that's how you know you're entering into the birth pains and you're entering into the time of the end. And that's why you're seeing so many wars, so many rumors of wars, so many uprisings.
0: Perry, uh, we're going to break right now, but when we come back, I want to know, because we're right in between the, the, these very prominent blood moon patterns on, on feast days. I want to know why this is so important. Why people are making such a big deal out of it. And I also want to know something they've all left out that you're going to tell us when we return. But I want you to take Perry home with you. L- listen to these titles uh, that he has here. The top 10 prodigies, and we didn't even explain a prodigy to you. And one is very soon about ready to happen. Uh, The blood moons and the Passover patterns, predictions that many people have missed, most, as a matter of fact. The revelation uh, of the blood from Passover, it's one of the greatest mysteries uh, designed. Death of America. I mean, that, that CD alone is worth listening to. Uh, and when Israel breaks America's yoke, I'll say it in a Jewish way, Ivey for America, not for Israel. But wait till you hear his teaching there. Uh, and what God is showing Perry right now, so it's six CDs, a bonus of a seventh CD for an investment of $45. We'll be right back call our order only line 1-800-447-2697 one 447 2697 sid roth here with perry stone and uh, perry <laughs> i mean it's almost unfair You have so much up-to-the-minute information that would allow people to have the information necessary to come up with what God has in store right around the corner for planet Earth. But I promised when we come back uh, that you would answer the question— why are people making such a big deal out of the blood moons, especially the ones, the pattern we're in between right now on the feast days? Uh, I mean, even the secular news is making a big deal out of it. Why?
1: Well, let me just explain a little bit about this concept about blood moons, because if people have not heard or they've heard a little bit about it, it may not totally make sense. In Joel two twenty-eight twenty-nine. 29... Uh, that prophecy is repeated by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts two seventeen eighteen, 18. And he talks about it will come to pass, and Peter said this, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions. Upon my servants and handmaids in those days I'll pour out of my spirit. Then he shifts it into something odd and says, I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth beneath blood, fire, pillars of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord. The phrase moon being turned into blood has been so misunderstood, and actually, most scholars wouldn't even touch the subject. I've got all their books, not all of them, but I've got 20,000 books, so that tells you something. And when you study this, and I did for years, nobody really understood what a blood moon was. It's a symbol, it's a metaphor, it's it's an allegory, but they're never explaining it. Uh, In the 1990s, and I want to say it was about 1996, I went to Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem Post paper had a big orange moon, and it said there was different headlines that said blood moon over Jerusalem. Well, I jumped. I had never heard anybody call a full lunar eclipse a blood moon, but when you look at the moon, it is a it is a orange orangeish, orangish, reddish color depending on, you know, what part of the atmosphere the, the, the way the atmosphere is. So I said blood moon. That's interesting. Well, I started studying it then, and this was back about ninety six, and I realized that. Uh, Again, if we look at it because, you know, uh, Joel was Jewish and Peter was Jewish, and over the centuries Jewish rabbis have noted and followed a system of what they call blood moons or full lunar eclipses. Now, a lunar eclipse is nothing special. A solar eclipse is not necessarily anything special. They happen all the time. What is bizarre is someone began to trace back and realize that if you have a blood moon during feast days, it usually has a significance to it. And so what was discovered, and there was a pastor in, in, in uh, uh, Washington State that I know that, that discovered this, Pastor Biltz, and he said this. He said he looked at NASA's website and realized that on the first day of now this was last year, the first day of Passover and the first day of Tabernacles, and this year, first day of Passover, first day of Tabernacles, it's back-to-back blood moons that fall on the first and last feast days, two years back-to-back. So when research was done, they found out that this has happened about seven times in history that we know of, and this is the eighth time. So the significance is not that the moon is in a lunar eclipse state. It's the fact that Israel's calendar is a lunar calendar. So anything connected with the moon is has been historically and rabbinically connected to the nation of Israel. So when these blood moons begin to fall on festival days, people begin to notice that when they do... Unusual things are always connected, either in Israel, and so the emphasis. And this is where I want to talk to people about something a lot of people have missed. And this is, so he said, what I'm about to share with people might be the most exciting thing, in my opinion, we have talked about on your program so far. Okay, I agree. Now i i want to give the I want to give the three time frames in 70 years when blood moons have happened on back to back years on Passover and Tabernacles, the first and last feast. Okay. The first series of blood moons came in 1949 and 1950. The second series of blood moons came in 1967 and 1968. And the third series of blood moons come in 2014 and 2015. Now, I realized when I read Joel's prophecy, and I read also what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, that the moon turning into blood is connected to the sun being turned to darkness. And oddly enough, on all of these dates, there were very unusual lunar eclipses because, again, in rabbinical thought, the sun being turned to darkness can allude to solar eclipse with lunar eclipses falling in festival seasons or between the festivals. All right, so let's stick to the blood moon, though, Perry. Okay, (laughs) so here we go. You ready? Here's the part that fascinated me, and I don't know of anybody that put this together. I mean, I was sitting one day and just realized this. Oh, my goodness. The first blood moon in 1949 and 1950 fell at the exact same time of the great healing revival. Now, for those that are not familiar with the healing revival, I'm going to name some names of men that were involved with it, and I'm going to tell you how old they were. This is real significant. How old they were when the healing revival broke out in 48 and Israel became a nation. Morris Cerella was 17, R.W. Schambach was 22, T.L. Osborne was 25, Jack Cole was 29, T.L. Lowry was 29, Oral Roberts was 30, Kenneth Hagen was 31, O.L. Jaggers was 32. That's just to name a few. Now, God said, when you see the blood moon, and the, you know, accompanied by the solar eclipse, sons and daughters will prophesy. All the men that started the healing revival that lasted from 1948 to 1951, Now, remember, the blood moons come in 49 and 50. Then those were all young men, these preachers. We think of them today as older men, but back in the day, they were the sons that were prophesying or preaching. Now, let's look at the second series. The second series of blood moons fell in 1967-1968. Why is that important? Because in 49 and 50, it was right after Israel became a nation. But 67-68 is right after the Six-Day War when uh, Jerusalem was reunited as the capital of Israel. Here's what happened in 67. It was called the charismatic renewal. In 1967, there was this another wave of the gifts and another wave of the Holy Spirit that impacted the mainline churches and the mainline denominations right at the same time When Israel is in a six-day war in the month of June and all of a sudden the city gets reunited together, the charismatic renewal tore down barriers just like the wall in Jerusalem was torn down after that 67 war uniting east and west. It tore down denominational barriers and mainline denominations began to come to the knowledge of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now this is in line again with the blood moon cycles. Now here's what really gets me very excited, okay? the third series of blood moons have fallen in, again 2014-2015 and we look in in 48, 49, 50 Israel is a nation, we look at 67, 68 Jerusalem is reunited as the capital. Now we look at 2014 and 15 and we see Israel's enemies all around her trying to raise up against her and annihilate her and at the same time we see Israel becoming a greater nation, a stronger nation technology-wise I had a professor tell me in four years, he said, Israel's not even going to need America with fuel, with gas, with military equipment, with anything in four years. And so we see what's happening here. Now, here's the exciting part. This is, I believe, what we're about to see, Sid, and we're seeing it here, is another move of sons and daughters prophesying. In the healing revival, it was young preachers under 30. In the charismatic renewal, it was a lot of people under 30. Now we're seeing another repeat of this. in in the major youth ministries, I'm telling you, a lot of people don't keep up with this, but there are youth ministries right now that are having 30, 40, 50, and 60,000 kids show up in stadiums for outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We've had here just one one meeting, 4,100 young people show up with over 500 baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I mean, they would pray. They pray and worship for three and four hours at a
0: time. I'm, I'm going to tell you something, Perry. These young kids that are going to be on fire for the Lord... You put them in these religious, lukewarm churches, and they'll go in the front door and run out the back door. There, there's going to have to be a whole new uh, venue of churches set up for people that are normal, normal as defined by the Bible.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you see it coming, and it's sovereign. Now, I'm going to give you one more nugget, if, I, if we have time, one more nugget yes. that a lot of people have missed. When I start teaching on the blood moons, um, it was many years ago, but when I start preaching this, the more recent ones, in the month of April last year when I was at our ministry here and I said, let's preach on blood moons, I said, now according to the Bible in Joel 2 and Acts 2, it says there'll be blood and fire and pillars of smoke that will accompany blood moons and accompany these outpourings. And I said this, if we are truly in the last days, if this is just not a fluke, if it's just not another cycle that's going to come and go, we are going to have and we're going to see volcanic eruptions that will happen not only while this cycle is going on, but after this cycle is going on. As I am preaching on the night of the first blood moon in 2014, one of our young people, you you know, today they sit in their church with their phones and iPads, and they just go on the Internet while you're having church. And he looked, and he held this up, and there was a volcano erupting while I was preaching when the first blood moon was going on. I did some research and found out that 30 days in the month of March before the first blood moon in 2014 happened in April, there were eight places on Earth where volcanoes were either rumbling or erupting. Now, the blood and the fire and the pillars of smoke, again, we're looking at this now not from Perry Stone's interpretation, from rabbinical interpretation, is the shaking of the earth, especially as it relates to volcanoes, uh, volcanic ash, And I have a a geologist friend in Israel from the university there that has a PhD at Berkeley that said to me that he believes Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by a volcanic eruption. He said there's evidence for it, and there is evidence for that at the southern part of the Dead Sea, especially on the side uh, of Jordan, where Jordan is located. So when we see the outpouring of the Spirit, when we see Israel being impacted by enemies and also by, by, by God's favor upon them, and when we begin to see the volcanic activity, we absolutely know that this is not a fluke. This is not just uh, people getting hyper about something like they did Y2K or they did the Gulf War. This is a real deal because there is a pattern. Here's the point. There's, it, there is a pattern that emerges In the past 70 years, with the blood moons that fall on Jewish festivals, and that pattern has happened twice in in 1949 and 50 and 1967-68, and now we're seeing a repeat of it in 2014 and 2015. And I just think it is a cosmic harbinger. It is a heavenly sign that reveals to the people who are able to discern. And I had somebody say to me one time, you know, we were doing a teaching on, you know, the constellations of the heavens, and the, and it's not, not the secular meaning, but from a biblical perspective, and Joseph saying the sun, moon, and stars bowed down before him. And uh, somebody came to me and said, I think it's wrong for us to even study the sun, moon, and stars. And I said, well, why did Jesus say in Luke's gospel, there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars? Why would Jesus even point us to make us aware of sun, moon, and stars if he didn't know there was something going to take place that was going to help us to understand that it has to do uh, with cosmic harbingers or cosmic sign of his return? And so that's why when you you know When you look at this, and of course when you make the offer in a, in a, in a few moments up, on the six CDs that we're making available through your ministry, one of those that I personally selected that I had to get in your hands is that blood moon's rising. Because because uh, in all the teaching, uh, and I listen to other men's teaching, we all glean from that, but in other people's teaching, there were three things I kept saying, you're missing this, you're missing this, you're missing this. And blood moons are not always negative because they are linked to Victories and they are linked to outpourings, which that's the part to me as, a, as, an, as a, an evangelist and as a minister that I am totally excited about because this means that by a pattern that God has set us as, as a cosmic sign, when we see that, we can say, Wait a minute, get ready. The previous patterns is the Holy Spirit is about to be poured out in a powerful, powerful way. For you and I to be alive now. And to be a part of this move, and a part of even the, you know, the study of our, our Hebraic roots uh, in the in the faith, and and see Israel as a nation, and watch this nation come out of obscurity to be one of the most powerful technology uh, nations, armies on the planet is absolutely stunning. And, and Sid, can you imagine the prophets? Even Jesus said, "How many prophets would have loved to seen his day?" Can you imagine how many prophets would say, "I would love to be you know here right now." I wrote about that. I talked about that. I predicted that. I never knew how that would happen. I saw it, but didn't understand it. And uh, man it just gives me that just gives me those bumps all over my arm and the back of my neck every time I think about you know what how privileged we are and your viewing your listening audience is to be in this generation
0: and what does it mean that the blood moon is going to occur on passover what significance does that mean to us
1: what the fact that it's passover and it's not like uh, pentecost or it's not uh, you know, just one time, it is this. Because in Exodus chapter 12, and I think this is a part, and I'll kind of just do a little skipping around a couple things here, hoping people can really grasp this. Israel's cycle, Israel's prophetic cycle is based on the moon because their original calendar is a lunar solar calendar and not just a solar calendar. Most people are aware of that. And in Exodus chapter 12, at the time of the Passover... God sent ten different plagues, and one of those plagues was total darkness over the land. So there was cosmic activity that took place at the time of the Passover. But it was during that time of the Passover when the great revelation came forth. There were several revelations. Number one was the revelation of the power of the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, left post, right post, and top post. And that blood served as a protective power against the angel of death. The second revelation that came out of the Passover was the fact of healing, that when they ate the lamb, they could be totally healed. The third revelation, and this is one a lot of people eliminate but they shouldn't, is the revelation of the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just. There was was a total transfer. There was three things that happened the night of Passover – and again, we have, to connect, we have to connect this to because of the fact that the blood moons are falling on the first day of Passover, on back-to-back years, what does God want to speak to us about Passover, about Pesach? What does he want to, he want to say to us? The number one, I believe God is saying to us, it's time to go back to declaring to people the power that is in the blood of the Lamb, of Yeshua, the power that's in his blood. In the book of of Revelation, it says they overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And the church has gone kind of away from teaching on the power of the blood, forgiveness of the blood, but we have to go back to that. That is the thing that defeated the angel of death in Egypt from entering the home of the Hebrews, and Satan hates that message of the power of the blood because that's where the forgiveness, the cleansing is. Everything is in there. Everything's in the blood. Now, The second revelation I believe that is coming, and we're beginning to see this not just in our ministry but other ministries, is this brand new uh, revelation. And it's always been there, but it's a revelation to people's understanding in our time of the healing power that's in the Lamb, the Lamb being Christ, and how his body was broken for us and with his stripes we're healed. And so when they came out of Egypt, it says in the Bible, they came out of Egypt and not a feeble person was among their tribe. I mean, God did a mass healing campaign before he brought the people out. And there's going to be... Uh, a fresh revelation of laying on of hands, of speaking the word, of anointing people. Uh, you know, here in our ministry we call OCI, we've, we have known of people that have been healed of cancer. We have known people that have been healed of just absolute, total diseases. And- I,
0: I, I have to tell you, Perry, I am in awe. I've, I've been, as long as I've been a believer, I've been in the healing ministry. But it is it, it, it is increasing, not just as as you say, not just on you, not just on me. It's in the atmosphere right now. God is up to something special.
1: You, do you know what's odd, Sid? Talking about this healing revelation that came at the Passover, it's almost like it's easy to see people healed if they just believe. And, and, and I, grew up in, you know, I grew up in a church where they anointed with oil, and they prayed for the sick, but sometimes, you know, they'd pray and pray, and that's what happened. It's not that way now. It's just like if people are open and ready, they're getting miracles like crazy. I mean, it's like, a, it's almost like you just, you know, you know uh, years ago growing up, if somebody really got healed, it's like it shocked everybody. Wow, they got healed. Man, I can't believe they got healed. Nowadays, it's like you got healed. Praise God. Well, we knew God was going to do it.
0: Wait, what is the third link with Passover that we're going to see?
1: The third thing that I see in Passover is when God brought them out of Egypt. They had the revelation of the blood. They had the revelation of healing. They had a revelation also. Of they actually came out with gold and silver and wealth. And not only was not a feeble person among the tribe, but God gave them the provision that was necessary to provide for ministry and build a tabernacle. They could have never built that tabernacle without 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 having the stuff that they brought out of Egypt. The third the third thing I honestly believe, and I do know there's been abuse of this subject, but what's so bad about the body of Christ when they see a little bit of abuse? They want to throw the baby out with the water, and they don't want to hear anything at all. That's wrong. They need to pay attention because there is a pattern here, and the pattern is that God revealed true prosperity by giving them the, the provision that they needed in their hands to not only take care of their families and not only have something when they went to the promised land, but also to build his house. And God, wants, God has a lot that he wants to do in the kingdom. There's Bibles that have to be printed in different languages. There's, there's meetings that have to be conducted. Sid, you have to have support when you go to a meeting. You rent buildings. You, you take flights. All of that is a part of ministry. But God is going to have people who get the revelation And he's going to get provision. He's going to do it through different ways.
0: Is this where the Bible talks about, Perry, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous? Is this that great wealth transfer coming?
1: I believe it is, and let me explain a couple ways of how it happens. There are buildings that sit empty that are worth millions of dollars, and a church walks up and gets one for $400,000. That's a miracle, and they put a church there. There's property that has never moved, and and churches and ministries and God's people go in and get it, and they just get it for almost an incredible price. There's different levels of how God and methods and ways that God can create this to happen. It doesn't mean, you know, money's going to come off trees. It doesn't mean you're going to find a gold mine in your
0: yard. Perry, I have to tell everyone, this, what you're hearing from Perry, I mean, can you picture having six CDs of his the, the best teaching he's ever done, when these repetitive cycles are understood, you're going to understand the keys of our future. Perry says that after 100,000 hours of studying Scripture and being deep in the Spirit, these are the most important revelations in the history of his ministry. So the whole series of six CDs is called Breaking End Time Prophetic Codes, One of the CDs is a bonus CD of what Perry sees happening right now. Available for an investment of $45, where we'll pour any extra money you give or any profits into reaching Jewish ministry to be a catalyst to evangelize the world. (laughs) Panavela Vigone. You saw on a Lecha. place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free. Our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.